Hello, this is Dr. Doug Grothuis, host of Truth Tribe, where we seek the truth through reason and evidence about what matters most. And we are not tribal since truth is for everyone. Please join me at the Truth Tribe as I discuss the reasons for Christian faith, the Christian worldview, and moral issues such as abortion and gender ideology. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search Truth Tribe on your favorite podcast app. Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kainos Project. I'm Dale. I am Tamara. And we're here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. Well, today I thought that we would talk about something that we're completely out of our depth on and probably don't have any business talking about. But hey, we have a podcast. And um, you know what? I think it's important that we talk about it. And and that is the topic of uh, geopolitical conflict and specifically what has been happening in Israel. As most of our listeners will know, on Saturday, October the 7th, Israel was attacked by Hamas, which is an Islamist uh, militant group that operates in Gaza, and it claims to represent the Palestinian cause of liberty. Um, They don't really that much. Uh, But it was this horrendous surprise attack, and it was brutal. They came by land and air and sea. They were raining missiles from above, and uh, the ground incursion was particularly barbaric. In just the way that it, um, these just, you know, terrorists came in and were essentially raping and pillaging and uh, murdering women and children and taking others hostage. And so some of the details have been a little bit difficult to confirm. Uh, but just looking at the reports that have been, you know, double reconfirmed and reliably confirmed, uh, what has happened is that Hamas has uh, committed war crimes and not only committed war crimes, but has. Uh, gleefully filmed themselves uh, doing so. And so the reports, they're just absolutely brutal and horrifying. And so in response to that, the Israeli military has essentially been raining hellfire down on the Gaza Strip in an attempt to squash Hamas, you know, once and for all. Um, and the the water's been cut off to the Gaza Strip and power's been cut off. And so the casualties have been heavy on both sides. At the time of this recording, we're recording this on Saturday, I think the, the death toll is already into the thousands yeah. um, on each side. And then yeah. uh, that's not even combining both sides of the conflict. The, the death toll is into thousands with thousands more injured. And um, it is believed that Hamas has uh, up to uh, 100 hostages that are still um, you know, in captivity and this conflict, it's significant because any international conflict that is this violent and this brutal and this fraught uh, is a concern for people who care about the humanity of other people. Uh, but this particular conflict is of uh, particular concern to Christians because Israel is involved and the Jewish people are such an important part of God's grand redemptive narrative, starting with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and running all the way through to Jesus. And so there's a lot of disagreement among Christians about the role of Israel in the church and the role that Israel will play in the end times future. And we see that disagreement uh, playing itself out in the public discourse right now in ways often that are not that helpful. So we wanted to talk about that a little bit. Uh, And so we should caveat this whole conversation by pointing out that uh, neither of us are experts in foreign affairs or geopolitical conflicts, unless I'm missing something. Tamara, did you? Actually, you know, that's a secret secret that I've been keeping from you 
all these years you've known me. I'm actually an expert in this area. You know, the most uh, the most of what I've learned about uh, geopolitical conflicts, I learned from the Star Wars prequel trilogy. <laughs> George Lucas was it's a really was it's a really, really good resource. had an intricate, you know, uh, exposition of geopolitical relations. But uh, be that as it may. Um, we want to look at this conversation not so much from the political, geopolitical. We don't have kind of the authority or the expertise to, to weigh in on a lot of those things. But we do want to look at some important theological points of discussion, um, even as we're here just kind of in shock of this whole thing and we grieve the loss of life and the violence that has occurred. So we'll probably say a lot of things wrong. I just want to say that off the, off the top. Um, but, you know, here we go. So... That's what we're going to talk about today, and we'll dive into it in just a moment. This is Perseus Poku, host of the Sound Reasoning Ministry podcast. Learn how to share and defend your faith by listening to us weekly. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. Okay, so I thought we'd start this conversation about Israel and Palestine and Hamas uh, with what we know, which for us, as we always have indicated, isn't much. Uh, but I thought I would lay kind of just some groundwork or set the stage of kind of the backstory of where this kind of conflict is. Not saying any of the backstory is justifying acts of terror. Right. It doesn't. Yes. But just to kind of set the stage yeah. of like, what are we looking at here in terms of, you know, somebody invaded somebody else and you don't know anything about those two sides. What's the backstory here? Okay, so Israel... Um, as a nation, it was reestablished as a you know a nation state in 1948, and that was after centuries of global homelessness. So the Jews they were driven out of the Palestine area um, way back in the second century by the Roman Empire, and they kind of dispersed into various parts of the Roman Empire and eventually into Europe. Uh, and so they never really had a homeland after that. The the Jewish people. Uh, but in the 1800s and into the early 20th century, and even more so after uh, the Jewish Holocaust, there was this movement among Jewish people to move back to the land of their ancestors in what had become uh, known as Palestine. And uh, all of that kind of came to fruition, this dream of a new um, Zionist state uh, in 1948 after World War II when the new state of Israel was officially recognized. And so since that time, Israel has become essentially the only liberal democracy in that region, you know, in that Middle East region, which is kind of full of countries that are mostly ruled by oppressive, autocratic, uh, Islamist uh, regimes. Um, but here's the thing. When the Jewish people uh, came back to the land, the land was not empty. Uh, there were Arab Palestinians that were living there. And so there's been a dispute about how the two peoples can uh, live in the same area, uh, can coexist essentially in the same space. And, and to do that peacefully, that's been an open question ever since, you know, uh, the Israelis came back. Right. And even a bit of that question, depending on who you talk to, uh, the answer might be different of whose land is this really? 
and who is entitled to the space. Right now, obviously, um, both people groups are existing within that same space, and it hasn't been peaceful. Right, because on either side of the equation, uh, the people saying that this is the land of my ancestors, they're right, kind of dating back to to hundreds and thousands of years Mm -hmm. in that area. And really, uh, since that time, uh, the Palestinian Authority, which was kind of a collective of um, Arab leaders in the, the, the Palestinian areas, they haven't really cooperated well with Israel uh, and the Israeli government. At the same time, Israeli policy has really served to marginalize Palestinians, many of whom are actually Christian. About 50,000 of them are Christians, and a lot of them are, are Muslim as well. And um, this has been going on you know, for seven decades and so there have long been calls, both in Israel and around the world, to find a solution to the problem of how do we coexist in the same land. And of course, there are no easy solutions, um, but that's been of no great comfort to many Palestinians who, uh, quite frankly, have been fed propaganda about the Jews from the Palestinian Authority, which is ruling over those areas. And so it kind of all of that that kind of powder keg in 1987 Hamas was founded as a radicalistic militant group and they have operated in Palestinian land, mostly in Gaza. Um, but they're not uh, one in the same with the Palestinian authority. So the Palestinian authority is separate from them. Although I think sometimes their goals align, um, but not necessarily, you know, the Palestinian authority isn't a terrorist group. Hamas is. Um, but what, whereas the, the Palestinian authority has really focused on securing rights and freedoms for Palestinians, Hamas has made it their focus to bring an end to the Israeli state and the Israeli people. And that's kind of like their official stated goal within their organization is to kill Jews. They are waging jihad against the Jews. And so Hamas is this terrorist organization. And the other weekend, they came in and they terrorized, absolutely terrorized Israel. I mean, again, we're talking about raping and pillaging and murdering civilians and uh, paratrooping into music festivals so that you can uh, kill young people who are there, uh, you know, at a concert and uh, shooting people in their homes and killing babies and uh, kidnapping women and just like all of these horrific, horrific things that we've seen. Uh, That's what has taken place. And so uh, naturally, uh, everyone in Israel is... um, you know, Except grieved to- and is is looking for blood. Yeah. And so in turn, Israel, with, you know, a great deal of support from the international community, has responded in kind, and they have begun leveling a considerable portion of Gaza. Like, it's raining down, uh, you know, pretty heavily. And there's been a lot of collateral damage. There have been journalists who have been killed. Um, uh, there was an evacuation, um, like, 24 hours before the missiles started. But not everybody could get out. And so there was entire convoys of like families who were trying to get south of Gaza, who've just been, you know, blown to bits and uh, deeply injured and killed. And a lot of them, women and children. And so who is really suffering in this whole thing are women and children and civilians um, on, on both sides of the equation. And, um, I know saying on both sides, it sounds, that's always icky. There's a, there's a terrorist group who murdered a bunch of people. And in response to that terrorist group, uh, who is using, uh, civilians as human shield, a lot of those civilians have been killed. And so on, there have been a lot of Israeli women, children, young men, old men, old ladies murdered. And there have been a lot of Palestinians who the same has happened to them. Yeah. And so it is just awful, 
over there right now. Um, that's the situation as I understand it. And it's ongoing. This, we don't know how long this conflict's going to last. It's kind of all out war at this point, uh, especially from the Israeli side. They are, you know, their defense minister has said like, Gaza is not going to be the same after this. We are going to level it. And so, um, it's, it's all out war at this point. And so, uh, Tamara, what were your first thoughts and reactions upon hearing the news of what is happening and kind of the developments as they have come across the wire? Um, I mean, the first thought was just like a great sense of heaviness about the reports of what's happening. And um, it's it's a small piece of land as you think about. Um, I think just, it's the size of New Jersey. Yeah. So there's there's a lot happening uh, in this small piece of land. And um, the conflict in this part of the world, like you described in the beginning of the podcast, is it's been going on for centuries and uh, it's it's not as easy as this side's wrong, this side's right. As we as we look at what's happening with Hamas specifically, they are wrong. Uh, and I think it's important to say that as we talk about the complications of the history of the Palestinians and Israelis. Right. Um, no Haman amount of history or geopolitical conflict yeah. justifies acts of terror and the murder of women and children right. in the streets and in their homes. Yeah, yeah. That's the, the easiest thing in the world to To call say. out. This Although, if you, if you look it's, on the internet, a lot of people are not quite comfortable with that. Yeah. For whatever reason. Yeah, it, it is interesting to see how many people are, in fact, saying that they stand with Haman. Uh, because Hamas, you mean? Hamas, sorry. Let me say that again. It's all right. You know, uh, there was this speech that... Uh, Donald Trump had like a rally and he kept calling Hamas Hamas. Like Hamas? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. So, well, so Hamas. Hamas, not Hamas or Haman, Hamas. Uh, it's interesting how many people um, are essentially saying that they stand with Hamas because of the deep history um, that is behind all of this. But first and foremost, you just have to call out evil where it is. And there is no... Uh, reason or validation or explanation uh, that can be given to this terrorist group and what they are doing. Now, as you talk about the treatment of Palestinians um, within the West Bank, within Gaza, um, you really start to look into that and you're like, wow, this is this um, is a mistreatment of fellow humans and fellow image bearers. Um, and again, it's really complicated. Um and that makes any kind of commentary or any kind of opinion as you're formulating opinions on what's happening, it becomes um, messy very quickly as you think about the history of what's happening. And it, as you think about individual families, right, there's Palestinian families that are um, victims to all of this. And there's uh, Jewish families that are victims to all of this as well. And we've read several articles, watched a lot of documentaries and things like that on, on everything that's happening over there. And to say that like there's wrongs on both sides, we don't want to take away from the very real terrorist attack that is 100% wrong and is not justifiable in any category. Right. Yeah. And I think even there are Palestinians that I, I would like to think particularly the Christian ones that yeah. would agree with mm -hmm. with that mm -hmm. and they hate Hamas as much as anybody because yeah. Hamas is this oppressive uh, force in the uh, the Gaza area 
And um, it's the one other thing that's made it so complicated, I felt, is that there have been so many, like, false reports. So, like, I've tried to, like, hold my tongue in a lot of, like, the details that have come out because, um, you know, I would see a report of something and then, like, 24 hours later, it's like, oh, that didn't – that's not a true report. Uh, or I'll see a video and you're like, oh, that video was falsified. It was actually from three years ago and it was taken in Syria. And um, there's been just, like, so much of that flooding the internet, particularly, like, Twitter. Uh, and Twitter has kind of, under Elon Musk, um, become the wild, wild west of uh, misinformation yeah. and things not being fact-checked and uh, not being removed if they're falsified. And so that has added a layer of complexity. But even with that, as you step back and you look at the macro, um, it's pretty clear that Hamas um, c- committed a- war crimes, acts of terror, uh, murder, and also as a separate issue, uh, there is this uh, injustice that has been happening between Israel and Palestine for some time that doesn't justify anything that Hamas has done, doesn't justify Hamas's existence, let alone them doing anything, um, but is a reality there. And then also that there are grave concerns about the um, approach that Israel has taken in trying to um, eradicate Hamas, essentially. Uh, Then in the process of eradicating Hamas, you may end up eradicating uh, a lot of Palestinians, uh, a lot of them who uh, want nothing to do uh, with the conflict and are frankly living in squalor uh, in what has been referred to as the largest open air prison in the world because there's a, a partition there that they can't get out of. Um, they border, a, uh, I think it's Egypt. Egypt doesn't want them. Yeah. They're not going into into Israeli territories. And so mm-hmm. they're there hunkering down um, as hellfire is raining from above. And there's been a lot of concerns, even from Israelis. There's there's uh, the um, Jerusalem uh, patriarchs of the Orthodox Church in Jerusalem have issued several statements uh, just pleading with the Israeli government uh, to think about humanitarian aid because they're not letting humanitarian aid either. So there's no water, there's no power, there's no humanitarian aid for the civilians. Um, and they are just, you know, getting fired upon. And yeah, they had an evacuation order, but a lot of people didn't make it out in time. And so it's just, it's bad. Um, and it's really complicated because there are parts of this that are really morally simple. Mm-hmm. Hamas is evil. And then there are parts that are really morally complicated. Okay, so there's this terrorist organization that is going to wantonly come in and murder your civilian population. But then when you go to try to get them, they're hiding behind a civilian. Uh, do you blow up the whole building to get rid of the terrorist organization or do you not? And then, you know, you cut off one head of the terrorist organization and it grows back two more. And then you're just in this endless cycle of violence. And then how do you stop the endless cycle of violence? Um, there's no easy answers to that. And so there are things that are really morally clear. Uh, and then there's a lot that's really morally ambiguous. Yeah. Like what should the response of Israel be? Obviously, they need to protect and defend their people. Um, and there's just a lot of commentary out there happening about how they should go about doing that. And by no means are we any kind of a military like s- strategic um person in in our own right so we can't even speak to the answer to how they should respond to this terrorist group that is pillaging and ransacking everyone and everything around them 
Um, but there is absolutely a humanitarian crisis happening within Gaza of the Palestinians that are unable to get out and they are by many means uh, innocent in all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's complicated. Um, and there's even as you think about um, forming opinions on this, I think it is important to also weigh out the history of um, the the confrontation between Israel and Palestine um, it's just another layer on this and something, a documentary that was really helpful for me, which I had shared with you is called hope in the Holy land. Mm-hmm. And that w- really shed so much light on what has been happening and the views of Palestinians with Israelis and vice versa. And, um, even like you said, some of the misinformation that's happening within those two groups of people against one another, um, the conflict is deeply rooted and there's also a very heavy religious factor on both sides Mm -hmm. uh, that adds complication to all of this because there are a lot of holy sites happening within the same strip of land. Yeah, you think about Jerusalem in itself as a holy site for three major world religions. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think just refraining from, um, uh, I guess, lobbying accusations against just general populations of people is always important as Christians and how we speak about this. It's important to not just blatantly, um, you know, say Palestinians are evil because that's not true. It's this terrorist group that is evil. Um, and they're the ones that have launched the attack. It's not all Palestinians. Uh, I think we had the same issue when it came to nine 11, right? Like we just wanted Mm to, uh, like yeah. just create large generalizations against a massive um, against a, a people group in and of itself and say everyone in that people group is bad and everyone on the other side is good. But that's not true either. Um, right. Right. So I think we have to guard ourselves against the same type of thinking and the same type of rhetoric as Christians. We obviously see all throughout scripture um, that God did choose um, the Israelites, you know, those are chosen people. And you see from the Old Testament to the New Testament, like there's something there. Uh, and we'll kind of go into a little bit more of the theological side in a minute. But I think just to say, because um, Israelites are within Scripture, that means they're the holy chosen people forever and always, and they can do no wrong. And Pal- Palestinians, because they're the enemy, they're naturally our enemy too as Christians. Uh, I think we can't, we have to guard ourselves from that kind of thinking and be a little bit more critical in our thinking and not make overgeneralizations against massive people groups. Because at the end of the day, Palestinians and Jewish people are all made in the image of God, and they all are worthy of honor and um, dignity that any one who is made in the image of God is worthy of. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned the little bit of the theological side. Uh, in the past week, uh, dispensational preachers have been just having a field day. They've been all over my social media feed. So I want to talk a little bit about that phenomenon that's happening parallel to this, uh, but we'll dive into that in just a moment. 
Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com. So we've talked here and there on this podcast about dispensationalism. And dispensationalism, it's more than niche, uh, but it, it is a system of teachings that really uh, emphasizes a particular interpretation of prophetic passages in Scripture, and particularly uh, Revelation and some things in Daniel and Ezekiel. And it has this really heavy focus on end-time theology, like what's going to be the order of events. The, the rapture theology is wrapped up in this. There's timelines, there's graphs, there's charts. Um, there is, you know, very specific interpretations of how things are going to go out. And so anytime something significant happens in the world, and particularly when something happens that's involving Israel, the dispensational preachers, they come out in droves to offer predictions. Um, and so, you know, a lot of folks in the Calvary Chapel system, I've seen like them all up in my feed, uh, this week. Um, I've seen, uh, Greg Laurie, I've seen Jack Hibbs of, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, I've seen some others that are like, okay, let me sit down and pull the passages and tell you exactly what's happening in Israel, which prophecy is fulfilling, and which one is next. And so there's just been a lot of like, you know, reading signs of the times kind of thing going on. Uh, Tamara, do you think that there is any place for that in the discourse? And, you know, could, you know, can we allow for that? Because that is, you know, a theological system that people do hold to and they do love Jesus. Uh, and at what point is it just not helpful at all? I think starting there and that being your first mention of the current events happening in um, Israel, I think that instantly pushes you away from any kind of an empathetic response towards uh, Palestinians. And in so many ways, that's not responding as Jesus would have responded. Uh, people who like to start there remind me a lot of like the Da Vinci Code where you're trying to just <laughs> sit and, um, you know, draw big timelines and piece puzzles together and kind of solve the, the mystery of uh, prophecies. And um when we do that, in in some ways, it kind of, I'm, I'm trying to guard myself about how I say this, but I think in a lot of ways that just becomes like a game people play mm, and not yeah. so much viewing the great humanitarian crisis that is happening in Israel. And instead of responding with empathy and care for the victims and those that are losing life right now. Um, we're just trying to play the game of when's the world going to end. Um, obviously, we know that's going to happen, but the whole point of revelation is not that we would piece together the end and solve this great mystery of when it's going to happen, but so that we would um, be reminded of the hope and the victory that we have in Christ. And so it doesn't really matter where we are on the timeline of when the world's going to end. We already know how it happens, right? Like we already know what the ending is, and that is Christ is going to reign victorious. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't see the benefit of saying like, look, this is a sign of what's happening. And again, it just becomes uh, 
devoid of actual empathy and care for people and just becomes something that you slap on a timeline somewhere. Um, And I understand that there's a lot of people who disagree with me and think there's some kind of importance about us laying out timelines because we know Christ is going to come sooner rather than later. Like they also thought that when Paul was writing to the church of uh, Thessalonica, right? Yeah, like they, thought, they, they thought that in 1980, whenever someone mm-hmm, made a prediction, and mm-hmm. Y2K, and yeah. you know, all these other times that it's There's been predicted. There's so many times that it's been predicted that, oh, this is a sign of the end of the world. Um, like, we've been having signs for thousands and thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Like, is it going to happen in your lifetime? And if it is going to happen in your lifetime, shouldn't that urge you to... Um, share the gospel even more rather than like sit and hunker down and try and figure out your timeline in your basement. Like, I just don't think there's great benefit to doing that when there are people that are in the middle of war who are losing their life. I can guarantee you that the people trying to figure out how to survive aren't laying their timeline out thinking like, Lord, is this you coming right now? Mm -hmm. Because there's bombs like, Blowing I'm, up my house. I'm pretty sure that Israeli Christians and Palestinian Christians uh, right. are not dispensationalists. You, well, yeah, absolutely. I'm fairly confident. <laughs> yeah. But do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like the people who are actually being affected by this, that's not their response. Um, and so our response as people who live hundreds and thousands of miles away shouldn't be to sit and watch the show and try and figure out how do we piece together um, you know, how do we connect the dots in, on the timeline of history? It should be responding um, with prayer. It should be responding with um, like heavy hearts that are that are mourning the loss of lives right now. And anything other than that, I think, is a is a disservice to the gospel, and it's a disservice to our call to love others and be Christ to the world. And so. People are watching the response of the Christians right now mm-hmm. because they understand there's such a spiritual and religious connection to what's happening over there. And so it's all the more important that we respond in a way that um, points people to Christ rather than, um, I don't know, to our like weird maps we have in basements. Yeah. I think a couple of things to keep in mind with the whole like craze of dispensational predictions and, you know, the left behind theology and all that kind of stuff is that first of all, uh, no one was making these kinds of charts and graphs until, um, like in North America in the mid 19th century. So you had like 1800 years before that where no Christian was doing this kind of thing, at least no Christian that anybody was taking seriously. That doesn't mean that the whole system of dispensationalism is wrong or has no value, but it's something to bear in mind that this is a a fairly brand new interpretation uh, that a lot of folks are passing off as, you know, quote unquote, the plain reading of scripture when no one plainly reading the, the, the scriptures thought that until, 100 or 150 years ago. And then I think the other thing is that this uh, this whole like date setting and um, prediction making, the predictions are like always wrong and uh, they're rarely encouraging. Like, and they stir up a lot of fear and strife and uh, oftentimes xenophobia and things like that. Like I was uh, listening to a sermon by uh, Greg Laurie and this was the Sunday after um, Hamas had attacked uh, Israel. And he was talking about, you know, Gog and Magog and, 
He was, you know, making connections with like Iran is supported by Russia and Russia is funding Hamas. And like that's not even confirmed. Like the State Department is saying like, yeah, that's not true. There's no evidence of that. But people are like kind of run with that so that they can blame Joe Biden for uh, a Hamas attacking Israel because he unfroze assets from Iran in this uh, ex- exchange of hostages and things like that. Um, and so he makes like all of these like really like flimsy like House of Cards connections to like uh whatever and so and then at one point in the sermon he says if you see russia get directly involved buckle your seatbelts because we're right at the end and you know he goes on and on and on and at the end he's like and we tell you this uh not so that you'll be afraid but so that you'll have confidence i'm like bro you spent half an hour saying lots of really scary stuff like how how is that to make me not fear i came into this uh into this service, you know, maybe I hadn't even heard what had happened in Israel yet because it had just happened 12 hours ago. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm tired. Uh, I got my kids in, I've had a busy week and now I I'm sitting here and I was feeling fine. And now you're telling me the world's going to come to end and Russia's going to nuke everybody and we're all going to die and the rapture is going to happen. And then they're going to start beheading Christians. And like, how was that helpful? Like, like well, you're making you're making me feel worse by telling me all this stuff that's like uh, that you're saying I should have no fears. Like, I didn't have fear until you started bringing up all your wild predictions that were like flimsy, um, like connections between like geopolitical stuff that I barely understand. But even in my understanding of it, like you're drawing lines where you can't necessarily draw lines yet. Yeah, and I think. Th- the immediate response becomes like fear um, when we start doing that, right? Like we instill fear within our congregations. We, uh, and then we want to say like, but don't be afraid because God has yeah, it all even though control. I spent but the last half hour, you just listed you. a ton of things. And I've heard people who are like, Oh my gosh, this is so scary. This is so scary. My first response wasn't, this is so scary. My first response was grief. Yeah. And, heartache because uh and maybe i like the sensitivity of motherhood i don't know maybe that's not even fair to say but i immediately was just like envisioning my own kids right envisioning my own husband like like thinking about mothers who have had their kids literally like pulled from them i had read something about a baby that they found was just full of bullets Mm. and i just like as I'm thinking about like looking into the eyes of my own kid, you know, and you see like, what would you do as a mom? Like, what would your response be? My being hundreds of thousands of miles away, my response wasn't like, oh my gosh, what if this is coming to America next? My immediate response was just grief and heartache for the loss of life and the way in which it's being lost. Mm -hmm. Not, yeah, pulling out my map to figure out like all the political moves that are going to happen next. Um, Because that's also not like, who are we to think through um, like the world powers that are, you know, conspiring together to blow up the world next. Like I just, I don't know. Maybe I should be thinking that way, but I just, that's not. (laughs) I don't think, I don't think you should be thinking that way. (laughs) But I just think you like, maybe I should be more aware of the, strategic political moves that are happening but as i hear about the death toll i my first response is not it 
is let, probably let me pull out my charts and see. Well, yeah. that and like what other world powers are are backing this, and, and people do that with Revelation, right? Like as they read things, they're trying to say like this is this world power and this is this world power. Like that's not what that book was written for. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Even like when you think about dispensationalism, dispensationalism in the the mid twentieth century had to make a big shift in what they thought about their end time theology uh, when Israel was reconstituted into a state uh, because that broke all of their predictions and interpretations of end times uh, prophecies. Uh, that in itself, because they were thinking that re, uh, Israel wasn't going to be reconstituted until after the rapture, after Jesus came, or all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, when people are sound so certain about these end times um, interpretations of prophecies, it's not as certain as you might think it is. Um, they might be right, but, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. So, you know, it, it's really shooting in the dark, and it's unproductive to spend our time doing that when we could spend our time focusing on uh, humanitarian aid, uh, what we can do to help, what we can do uh, to pray, um, how we can show solidarity with people who are created in the image of God and who have had their dignity just absolutely stepped all over, um, and they've been killed, their children have been killed, their children have been taken from them. And so I think that is... Um, what we should focus on and not Gog and Magog and, you know, all these obscure passages in uh, Ezekiel and, and Daniel and just all these things that are just just crazy. And people are just pulling stuff out of thin air and calling it the plain reading of scripture. And it's not. It's just it's strange. It's a strange thing to be doing. Um, Going back to like what's happening on the ground, obviously, when it comes to this conflict, the Israeli government is looking to draw blood on Hamas following the attack. And why wouldn't they, right? Why shouldn't they? Um, and this conflict isn't new. Hamas has been around since 1987. But this is the worst. Like Hamas has reached a new low. Um, but Tamara, without commenting on Israel's military strategy per se, we're speaking in terms of principles here. Uh, what is the obligation of Christians, if any, to support Israel, no matter what, particularly in their military offensive on Gaza that's taking place right now? Mm. Well, because they're God's chosen people. Yeah, I don't think we're obligated to support them in that because, um, yeah, to say that we're always obligated to support every single decision that they make, I don't think is a true obligation. I think we're we're reading that into something somewhere. Um, especially as um, we look at uh, the Palestinian lives that are being taken as well. And I understand like when it comes to war, there's going to be casualties on all sides. Right. But um, I, from what I understand, the goal is for that not to be civilians, right? There should be some kind of um, morals and ethics and standards that are held during time of war that isn't just kill everybody men women children like it doesn't matter because there are innocent lives and so um again i don't want to weigh into the military strategy but um i do think there is um a level of unethical measures that are being taken place that uh for a very long time the people within gaza were unable to escape they were unable to escape the terrorist group and they were also unable to escape um, 
the bombs being thrown and the rockets being thrown and just all of everything that was happening in response to the attack um, of Hamas on Israel, the innocent Palestinians weren't able to escape either side of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I had read this article about kind of this uh, both sidesism that was pushing back against like, well, you have to understand that, um, Hamas was justified and da 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 and such and such. Hamas was not justified. No. So there's no yes but. Mm-mm. But I think there is a yes and. Yes, Hamas is evil, and um, it is a, a moral responsibility of Christians and governments and you know the global citizenry to uh, thoughtfully, critically assess uh, what Israel is doing and to without negating the absolute trauma and terror that has been inflicted uh inflicted upon them uh to push back where there may be concern of international law being bent or broken and the creation of a humanitarian crisis based on military tactics i i don't necessarily have enough information i've been watching it closely um but again the this facts change day to day and it's just a sea of uncertainty. But I, I think that it is healthy to uh thoughtfully question um what kind of humanitarian crisis is the Israeli government may be creating in uh this offensive. And again, it's an impossible situation because the terrorist will come out, shoot your people, and then hide behind a civilian. You shoot back, you kill a civilian. Now it's on you. And I don't necessarily agree with like um, when the civilians have been uh, killed in in Gaza, uh, Palestinian civilians. Um, people have said, "Well, that blood's on Hamas's hands because of their tactics and what they've done and their terrorism." And I think to a certain extent, okay. But that doesn't absolve um, the Israeli military or the Israeli government or the powers that be in the uh, Israeli government from moral responsibility or moral obligation uh, in that scenario. And again, it's war and war is hell. And so balancing all that out. But I think we need to just have a critical eye and and not take every um, questioning or criticism of what the Israeli government is currently doing as rank anti-Semitism. Which, mm. Some of it is. If you go out there, some people are being – there's protests mm-hmm. in the streets. There are anti-Semites coming out of the woodwork. It is egregious and it is terrible. But not everybody who's saying like, I'm not so sure that uh, I'm down with what Israel's doing right now uh, is an anti-Semite. And they may actually have a deep love for the Israeli people uh, and for that land, uh, but also have a love for uh, people – in Palestine who are created in the image of God as well. Yeah. I had um, listened to an interview from um, one of the leaders at uh, Jews for Jesus, and they're actually the largest Christian group within Israel itself. Um, And he had said, um, Israel has absolutely every right to respond to this, but the concern is when you're trying to match evil for evil. Mm-hmm. And so Hamas going, I mean, just an example of Hamas going and uh, completely obliterating everyone that was at a music festival. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- why was that their target? You know, like they just have no boundaries. They have no standards. They have no rules. Like it doesn't matter. They're intentionally trying to obliterate 
everybody they can. Mm-hmm. But is that the same response that Israel should have? Or because at that point now you're matching horrendous evil for horrendous evil, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I thought that was helpful as like I've been thinking through this um, in the interview that I had seen where he was like, yes, they need to respond. They absolutely have to. They're not just going to sit and have no kind of response. And of course, it's going to be a response that takes lives because that's unfortunately what war does. Right. Um, there are There is no measure of like, we can respond um, and n- no lives are lost. Like that just doesn't happen. It can't happen. Um, but there should be some thought around what kind of response we're going to have. And is it just going to be matching evil for evil? Yeah. And there are people in Israel, Christian groups, Christian leaders, Israeli citizens who are Christians in uh, Israel who are, you know, calling on the Israeli government to say like, Hey, like, we have had a horrible evil perpetrated against us um, where innocent people within our population have been killed. Are we really going to respond by killing innocent people in their population? Because when you you look at Gaza, uh, I think roughly 40% of the population is children ages 15 and under. Right. And a lot of them are getting missiles just rained down Mm -hmm. upon them. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, you have to question that. And um, it's it's not – anti-Semitic, it's not anti-Christian to call that into question because there's some grave moral danger. Um, And it's understandable. It's understandable when you've been in open conflict with a group for um, decades and then they do something like this and it's like, oh, the gloves are off. And so Mm, yeah, Israel is like, they are pissed and rightfully so. Um, But um, we have to take a step back and say like, hey, is this the 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 moral thing to support uh, everything that they're doing? Because if we we say that we care about the vulnerable and the marginalized, we have to care about the plight of the Palestinian people. Um, I mentioned this earlier, but some people have not done a good job of differentiating support for Palestinians from support for Hamas. For example, uh, Black Lives Matter, the Chicago chapter i guess of black lives matter they posted this image that said we stand with palestine but the image that they included was like a palestinian flag and it had this silhouette of a paratrooper which was the exact kind of militant that came down and rained down terror on innocent civilians at that music festival and i think it was it was 260 people who were killed at that festival alone um and they, they put that image evoking that act of terror and said, we stand with Palestine. Um, and that is just, to me, was bizarre and horrible and horrendous and morally reprobate. Uh, but Tamara, like, speak to that. Like, where's where's the moral clarity here? And, like, what do we need to hold intention? Um, seems like that tweet was holding way too much intention when there was some moral clarity in that space, but how, like, how do we keep all of that in perspective in a complicated situation? But there are some clear places that we say evil versus not evil. Um, it's important to remember that not every Palestinian is in support or is part of the Hamas terrorist group. Um, yes, they are Palestinian themselves, but that does not mean every single Palestinian is part of Hamas, right? And something like this would indicate that you're trying to say that they're one and the same and they're not. 
Mm-hmm. So we need to remember that Palestinians are different uh, and is even separate, should be separated in our minds as we talk about this conversation. Palestinians and Hamas are not one and the same. Yeah. And I so think to I try looked and at a lob number. those things together is, is just, it's ignorant. Yeah. I wanted to see how much um, Hamas is supported in, particularly in Gaza. Uh, that's where they have all of their control. Um, and I don't know how reliable this number is. I looked at a couple different places. I think it's about half. Right. About half the people that live there. Yeah. And so half the people that live there don't support Hamas. And a lot of them are Christians and a lot of them are Muslims and a lot of them are just, you know, other people that are there. Um, right. Because which is Hamas like tens is using, of thousands of people. Hamas is using fellow Palestinians as human shields. Mm-hmm. So like how... Like, that means they're not the same, right? Because right. a Hamas soldier isn't going to use another Hamas soldier as a shield. Instead, they're going to they use... They might. They seem like I they're mean, that bad they're of people. they're pretty ruthless, yeah. So, but they're they're mainly using innocent civilian Palestinians as a shield against um, the Israeli troops. And so, it, it's just important in this conversation as we say who we stand with, right? Like, yeah. Uh, that to... Anyone who says they stand with Hamas is absolutely wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, or even that's just clear. is unclear that you don't stand with Hamas. Yes. That's yeah. the, that's to, the to easiest thing in the of, world to denounce. Yes. And so to have that symbol, right, the actual image of Hamas's troops coming and raining down over this music festival, like you are wrong to say that you stand with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you want to say, label it as uh, Palestinians, but that's inaccurate and that's a misrepresentation about what is happening currently. Yeah. And it it's just um, that there is a lot of um, that we just have to reckon with in terms of the uh, racism that goes both ways in Israel and Palestine. Like, uh, I've been to Israel, and there was uh, one I of the days... I you went to Israel. Yeah, it was about seven years ago. And uh, there was one point where we went into uh, Bethlehem and Jericho, which are in the Palestinian Authority. So we had had a Jewish tour guide. He was a secular Jew who had been with us throughout all of the you know parts in the uh, Israel-controlled areas. And um, But he wouldn't go into the Palestinian Authority. I don't know if it was like a safety concern or if he just wouldn't deign to enter into the Palestinian authority. Um, but he was letting us know that a, a Christian Palestinian tour guide would come and take us to Bethlehem and to Jericho and those places. And just the casual hatred was just uh, remarkable to me. Cause like, you know, you go into the Palestinian authority and it's a different culture than here. And, you know, which isn't to say that one culture is better than another culture. Other cultures are different. I mean, in my culture, I wouldn't uh, tell my son to roll down the window of the car and throw his banana, banana peel on the street, but that's just different. That's just not what I would do. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. That's a, that was an interesting thing for you to say to the whole bus of people on the tour. And then, so he gets off and then the, the Palestinian Christian, uh, Touriad comes on and we're going to Bethlehem. And he had said, like, I can't remember exactly what, but just such kind of like a very casual anti-Semitism that like was was coming out. And that was that was just part of of everything that's there. And when you uh throw violence into the situation, um, that becomes pronounced. There I saw this um 
uh, interview on BBC where the I think it was BBC. It might not have been, uh, but the interviewer was um, talking to the former prime minister of Israel, and he was talking about like, hey, so in Gaza, like, there's no power, and so uh, there are hospitals there that have no power, and so there are you know elderly people who are on ventilators that they they might die. There are uh, babies in uh, we call them the incubators uh, who, if they don't have power, they'll die. And this guy, he fires back at the interviewer and he says, are you seriously talking to me about Palestinian citizens? Like what is wrong with you? Shame on you. And I was like, I was shocked by that because there was just like, just a, a complete disregard for the humanity of uh, Palestinian people, citizens, not militants, not radicals, just citizens that were there. And at the end of the day, dead babies are dead babies. Whether, um, yeah, there's certainly a, there's not a moral equivalence between uh, shooting uh, a, a baby in its crib and not providing power to the hospital and a baby ends up dying. But is not the result the same that you know, vulnerable and innocent people die. And that's something that we should care about. And so I think that there's uh, um, more moral clarity that is needed. And I think Christians should speak to without um, condoning terrorism. And I think we can do that. I think it's simple enough not to condone terrorism, but also to to be concerned about children not dying. Yeah. And what you the way that you describe the kind of um, animosity and yet in, in many ways just blatant racism, right? Um, it reminds me of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Yes. That's exactly what Jesus was speaking to. Yes. Where um, I just want to read like part of it. And I know people are very familiar with it. Um, but in the context of it, you have, um, it says like, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, What is written in the law is what Jesus replied. Uh, And he said, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the question is, uh, who exactly is my neighbor? Who Who exactly is is it that I should be loving? Um, And so then Jesus starts to say this parable. There was a man going down to Jerusalem to Jericho. And so this man is Jewish Um, and he was beaten. He was robbed. He's barely hanging on for his life. And a priest walks by, um, but he doesn't help the man. And then a Levite walks by and he doesn't help the man. But then a Samaritan walks by. And so understanding the context of the relationship between Jewish people and Samaritans is in many ways similar to what we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. Where you could insert the word Palestinian. Palestinian, yeah. right. So then essentially, yeah, let's let's do that. So a Palestinian walks by and it's the Palestinian that actually offers care to the Jewish person who was beaten up and robbed and barely hanging on for his life. And for for Jesus to say this is just completely wild for them to be hearing this story, thinking, wow, it's... The Samaritan helping in this context today. Wow, is the Palestinian helping the Jewish person? Like this is this is unheard of. They wouldn't even be connected within the same like area at all, right? Um, but in the end, Jesus says, 
It was actually the Samaritan person who responded the way that he should have. Go likewise and do the same. Mm-hmm. And so that's like that's what we're talking about here is uh, Jesus calls us to care for all people. It doesn't matter. And so as we think about the context of the life lost and the people um, who are hurting within this war, we need to equally care for the Palestinians that are innocent and their lives are being taken. And we should care about them and we should care to give them aid too. Like we should care about what's happening there to these people in the same way we should be equally caring for what's happening um, on this side of Israel and the lives that have been lost there. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing. Like (laughs) you can just go back to the parable of Good Samaritan and instead of reading the word Samaritan, read Palestinian. Because that was a story told pretty much on the same land under similar conditions and a similar level of hatred. And so um, loving your neighbor as yourself, um, it's complicated to see what that looks like when we're talking about geopolitics and all that kind of stuff. Um, But it's uncomplicated when we look at the people that we are uh, encouraged to hate um, and we choose to um, to walk a different path. And in a context where there has been an escalation of violence and hatred and a cycle of violence and hatred that is as old as the land itself, may we be people who aren't encouraging the cycle to continue, um, but who are a part of uh, creating a cycle of love and generosity that doesn't neglect, obviously, the military implications and security concerns, uh, but is first and foremost concerned with uh, human dignity and um, mutual love of humanity. Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kainosproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. There's no better way to start your day than spending time in God's Word and in prayer. Don't know where to start? We have a free daily prayer podcast created to help you do just that. The Your Daily Prayer podcast delivers a thoughtful devotional and timely prayer to you seven days a week. Gain inspiration, faith, and encouragement with daily messages in 10 minutes or less. To start listening now, search Your Daily Prayer on your favorite podcast app or visit lifeaudio.com.